From the EPR Creation Studio, this is Jason Staples bringing you the Unconquered Podcast. As always, this podcast brought to you by EPR Creations. EPR Creations partners with small businesses for website development and online strategy planning. I partnered with EPR Creations to build the Show the Safeties petition to get ESPN, CBS, and other networks to update the angles they use for televised football. If you want to be able to see the receivers downfield on pass plays, sign the petition at showthesafeties.com. And if you have any need for an improved internet presence or just want to improve your marketing, call EPR Creations or send them an email and let them know you heard about them from the Unconquered Podcast. You'll be glad you did. Information's in the show notes. This is part two of the offense preview for 2020. We're going to start with the running back position and looking at that running back position, that's where really the biggest gap from last year to this year is. And quite frankly, when you look at the rosters, you you, you go, wow, 2020 is way worse in terms of talent and expectations coming into the year than 20, 2019 was. You go from Cam Akers, Kalon LeBorn, and Anthony Grant, you lose all three of those guys. And Cam Akers was the core of the offense last year. And now all of a sudden, you go to Ja'Shawn Corbin, really good player, but also coming off of a uh, off of a torn hamstring. And then backed up by former walk-on Deontay Sheffield, by a true freshman Lawrence Toafili, who looks like he could use a few cheeseburgers. <laughs> if you've seen any uh, any of the, of the footage from practice, he's 180 pounds, and he... he he does not look 180 pounds. It's a, it's a, uh, it's a thin, it's a wiry 180 pounds, actually uh, sort of reminiscent of a young Travis minor when he came in sort of really thin, but minor was actually sh- a little shorter and still 100, 190 pounds. So basically take, take freshman Travis minor and, and drop another 10 pounds from him to actually has looked really good in camp. There's a lot of uh, buzz and excitement about how he's actually given the, even the one defense some, some trouble at times, really good vision, natural, natural running back better than I thought he'd be. Problem is that he's a guy that you really hope not to have to be a day one player. He needs to add 10, 15 pounds in the off season. And then all of a sudden you feel like you've got something as a second year guy. But if he's, if, if you're depending on him as a first year guy, you're it's a true freshman who's just physically, that's not a true freshman Cam Akers. It's just not. It's not true freshman Dalvin Cook who came in a little bit more filled out and physically prepared there. So that's what you got. And then you got the other three who you really don't know what you have yet in terms of Ja'Kai Douglas, LaDamian Webb, who's not played as much. He's not been on the field as much during uh, during the preseason as what you'd, what you'd like, although he may end up being the guy, the Juco transfer a little bit more experience. He might end up being one of the guys that takes more reps as the season begins. And then Corey Wren, who is really sort of a tweener. He's going to be the guy that's going to go between both the slot spot and that running back spot and is really more of a elite speed weapon, been the fastest guy in the offense at this point. So uh, so that's what you've got. And you know, think about this, by the way. How disappointing was that 2016 running back class? I mean, how excited was everybody? Uh, Florida State fans had a, t- a ton of reasons to be excited about that in terms of bringing in Cam Akers, who I still think was the best high school prospect at that position since Leonard Fournette. And he proved it. And ter- he, he lived up to his billing, as far as I'm concerned. Played through injury, uh, played through a terrible offensive line, and just balled out. And then you got Kalon LeBorn and, and Zaquandre White, and you got 
nothing out of LeBorn and White. Wow. <laughs> Just what should have been, right? But anyway, you, you get into 2020, and really, Corbin is the franchise here. If Corbin is, is able to stay healthy and is able to, to have the, the kind of explosion that he, that he had prior to the injury, then you feel good about him. He's an NFL back. But he's coming off a torn hamstring. Not quite as explosive as he was pre-injury. But, and, and the other thing is you're going to have to depend on him to take a lot more carries and a lot more reps than what you'd like because you just don't have the depth behind him. So not dependable depth, not depth with any experience. So they're going to have to find ways to make this position work, but it's not a situation like 2019 where you'd go, well, at least, you know, if everything else is kind of crappy on the offense, you can at least count on that guy. You're not in that situation. And, you know, Corbin is a good player and is a good back and Toa Feely has, has looked good in, in preseason, but you're not depending on those guys to be like, well, there's nothing there. The offensive line can't block him, but that guy might just make something happen anyway. You don't have as much of that at the running back position. And so I think it's a significant downgrade from 2019. And, and given how good Akers was, I, I, it's hard to argue against that. So not ideal. Then you get to where at the wide receiver position, as far as I'm concerned, it's basically you're pretty close to even in terms of what you can expect talent wise going into the season. You, they lost Keith Gavin to graduation and Treshawn Harrison to transfer. Gavin, a guy who had all the, the physical tools that you could want, but never quite put it together, never quite figured it out, especially under the new staff. He was really showing signs early on. I mean, you go back to that Alabama game uh, in Jimbo's last year, and Gavin looked like he'd be an All-American before too long. I mean, he, you know, going up and mossing those, those uh, Alabama defensive backs. And then, of course, he gets hurt on the kickoff return a couple weeks later. And then by the time you get to the new staff, he just, he, he never really lived up to anything close to what he looked like against Alabama in that, in what looked like a coming out party. And it turned out to be the, the high point of his career. Never quite lived up to that beyond that, but also a reliable blocker on the outside, a reliable guy who did his job. Uh, too many drops, though, and just a lot of what-ifs with Keith Gavin. And then Treshawn Harrison, a guy who probably the most talented playmaker of the bunch behind Tamori and Terry, but just, again, a guy that never really put it together. And you could see some frustration last year. There were so many times where he'd get the ball in the open field and just not he'd be a shoelace from making a big play. Never really lived up to what he should have been at Florida State. So lost those two guys, but you still return one of the best talents in the country at one receiver at Tamori, with Tamori and Terry, and they're going to move him all over the place. And then Keyshawn Helton, who top-level guy in the slot, though still a little bit uh, slowed down from injury, still not quite what he was prior to the injury, but you, you know you've got a, a player there. And then you've got the trio of Pokey Wilson, Jordan Young, and Warren Thompson, behind those guys in terms of one of those guys is going to have to step up to be the number three and the other guys are going to are going to be dependent on as well and then you've got the kind of unknown in dj matthews i mean first of all it's not even sure not even clear he's going to be on the roster uh and obviously a guy that missed a lot of camp with uh covid19 as he tweeted out himself and a guy that frankly the two prior prior staffs each had trouble with him and you just wonder what how this staff is going to be able to handle that. 
That said, you're talking about one of the most gifted guys with the ball in his hands on this roster. Uh, someone that, in terms of the the ability to make plays and to change the numbers on the scoreboard, fits a lot of what Norvell wants from his guys on the outside. So a guy that you that if he's going to do things right and and be around then and know the playbook and all of those other things, then you want him on the field as much as possible for that stuff. But uh, as I've said before, he's a guy that that the prior staff actually uh, the word that I I'd heard used was cancer. And generally speaking, there's only one one thing you do with cancer, and that's you cut it out. And so uh, if this staff is able to to handle things differently, maybe get something out of him. But like I said, I'm, it's not clear given the level of participation that he's been able to go through so far and some of the other things, how this is actually going to work. And you can't really expect a whole lot from Matthews. Anything, anything that you get from him this year would just be an, an additive. So, so yeah, that, uh, the good thing is that you've got a really good option there in Helton. Now Helton again has been in a green Jersey all, all, all camp and still recovering, but you know that you've got a guy that can play that position. You've got Pokey Wilson who can play that position. You've got, uh, again, this is one of the reasons why, that you move Bolden is, is Bolden is a guy that can play a lot of that role once he starts to learn the offense and, and starts to get understanding of what you're asking him to do there. That's another guy that, that can, that can fit that. So yeah, there's Matthews is, is a big question mark at this point. And, and I'm just going to say anything that you get from him this year or for the future is you just count that as a bonus as opposed to, uh, as opposed to expected. And then you've got probably the next two guys are Isaiah Bolden, who just moved to this position. And in the last podcast, I mentioned his track times, uh, one of the one of one of the listeners let me know that he ran ten six in the state meet, which was fat timed. So you're talking about low ten six in the state meet in the hundred meters. This is a fast dude at six two, at six two two hundred and ten pounds. So it's a matter of time before he starts to make waves felt at that position. But he's just learning. He's he's just moved at the end of toward the end of camp. So you can't expect a ton from him this year at the receiver position, though they'll find some ways to get him out there for some playmaking stuff if uh, if he starts to show that he can uh, he can do it. They they won't require that he knows everything before he gets out there. So that's that's a good thing. And then you got freshman Kentron Portier. Uh, so that that's you don't really ever expect much from a freshman receiver. It's a rare freshman receiver who can do a bunch. Portier showed some good stuff in. Uh, in practice, actually beat some has, has has they've released a bunch of highlights of him beating veteran defensive backs uh, here and there. But really, your rotation is going to be sort of Terry, Helton, Wilson, Young, Thompson and Matthews that those six guys are really the core of your of your receiving group. And you're expecting, I'd say, 80 percent of your of your yardage, if not a little bit more of your of your production from the receiver group from those six guys. And again, given the uncertainty surrounding surrounding DJ Matthews, it's really five guys that you can count on for about 80% of that production uh if Matthews isn't out there and even with Matthews coming back, you kind of have to expect there to be a pretty significant uh learning period as he hasn't been out there. He hasn't been participating, he hasn't been involved. So yeah, that's going to be even if he's out there that it's going to take a little while for him to break into into things. But 
if he's not out there, then I think you'll see Bolden out there uh, sooner than later, and and they'll just adjust and really try to fast track him as much as possible to get him to to be able to learn. But like I said, those are your six guys that you're going to count on the most. If Matthews is is out there, those are your five. If not, and Tamori and Terry is is going to end up having to be sort of the straw that stirs the drink for Florida State offensively this year because he gives them the guy, the one guy that is a matchup problem for every defense that they're going to face. Terry is that guy, and they're going to find a way to try to match him up against somebody that where he can he can give you some advantages. Clemson has a has a corner that that should be able to cover him, and North Carolina has a pair that will be uh, will match up better with him uh, physically than pretty much anybody else that'll be on the schedule. But basically against any other team, Terry is going to have a pretty significant uh, matchup edge and that's what they're going to count on and basically use him to to set the table for the rest of the wide receivers to be able to make some plays. So there are going to be some opportunities there. I mean, they, they there were a bunch of plays made by this group last year, just not enough to be what they need needed to be given all of the other weaknesses on the offense. And there's some question as to who the two, number two and three guys are going to be here. I mean, Pokey and Helton, they are reliable. You, you, they're known entities. They've got talent. Both guys have made big plays. But I think this is the year where Young and Thompson are really poised to make their splash as well. So this actually this receiver group might take a slight step forward compared to 2019. If things go well, one of the reasons that things will go well is because this wide receiver group might might end up actually being better than the 2019 group was and uh and the production overall uh could help open things up for the rest of the offense. So that's the hope. But I would say that coming into the season you can expect this group to basically give you more or less equal equal quality to what you got in 2019. So that that's where you that's where you wind up. But this all ultimately depends on the quarterback position that that's really that's really what what's going to make the biggest difference the the receivers are going to look better if the quarterback plays better the offensive line is going to look better if the quarterback's better now yes that's a little bit of synergism right the the quarterback looks better when he's got more time from the offensive line but more often than not it actually goes the other way that the quarterback makes the offensive line look better by making good decisions pre-snap, by getting the ball out on time or getting it out early so that the offensive line doesn't have to block as long. Tons of things that the quarterback can do to make his offensive line look better. And Florida State hasn't done that in a long time. And that's one of the reasons why in 2016, despite some issues on the offensive line, they were not nearly, they didn't look nearly as bad as they did. I mean, it looked like Armageddon in 2017 because the quarterbacks and the scheme just didn't help things. Whereas Jimbo schemed around that weakness all year in 2016 and 2017, they didn't scheme around it so much and it got exposed. You're going to see a lot of scheming around it in 2020. And I think that's where you can probably get the most help. I mean, this is where uh, the offensive line is probably going to be about the same overall, as we talked about as last year, but they can get helped a lot by scheme play calling and the quarterback helping with good decisions. And that's where really, if you're going to see the offense improve from last year, it's going to have to come from that spot because talent wise, there really isn't a whole lot of reason to expect improvement. The place where you can expect some improvement is coordination and better decisions at the quarterback position. That's and better execution at the quarterback position. That's what, that's what you have to hang your hat on. And if you're the coaching staff, that's what you're depending on and you're hoping for. So we'll talk about the quarterback position in just a moment. 
I want to pause for a moment to thank Shenandoah Newsma from Keller Williams Realty in Chapel Hill, North Carolina. Shannon has a PhD from UNC and knows how to put that research training to work. And she also takes great pride in not taking a one-size-fits-all approach to real estate. She specializes in customizing strategic options for each client and providing expert guidance through how to think about each option. It's a lot more work, but in the end, Shannon's clients end up way better off. My wife and I worked with Shannon a couple years ago and could not recommend her more highly. If you or anyone you know is looking for a realtor in the research triangle, there's no one better. Her information's in the show notes. Tell her you heard about her from the Unconquered podcast. So when you're thinking about the quarterback position, it, it, the thing is, you're not going to expect any any difference in personnel other than that you don't have Alex Hornibrook, who we talked about last year was really limited. And we talked about that as not necessarily being an upgrade, a lot of fans were calling for him at different points, and then he got on the field and, you know, it was one of those like, ah, put him back, put him back. Well, that's not going to be an issue this year. I mean, you, you basically have your choice. You got Blackman or you got a freshman. And the freshmen aren't ready, so it's going to be Blackman. And Blackman did show some promise, some, some improvement in, in, the, uh, in camp. He improved some in the offseason in terms of mechanics, which has led to some better accuracy overall, which is a real plus. That's still a work in progress. And you got to remember, this guy came in out of high school super raw. He came in basically a total unfinished product product, uh, and a project that you would expect not to have to play really for another three years and hopefully get a chance to work with a quarterback guru and really polish up and be ready to compete for a job by the time he's, say, a redshirt junior or redshirt sophomore at at, at earliest. And instead, he was thrown on the field as as a true freshman and then wasn't coached at the quarterback position in terms of mechanics in 2018 and 2019. So you're looking at a raw guy who then just didn't get coached at some of the things that he needed improvement on as a thrower for two years. And now all of a sudden he's, he's getting back to some of that and is able to, to improve some of that. But the problem is that is still a work in progress. And those things do tend to kind of come undone a little bit under, under pressure. Those of you who are golfers know that there's a difference between uh, hitting it on the range, like, man, I'm really grooving it. I'm finally getting it on the range. And then you get under pressure on the course and some old habits come out. Or if you, you know, if you've ever played in tournament golf, you can play on the course and it looks good. And then all of a sudden you get under tournament pressure. And again, some old habits come out and some things that you just like, I didn't even know that was still in my body. I don't know where that came from. Well, some of that is probably going to happen with Blackman this year. Nevertheless, I do think that you can expect a mild improvement, mild to moderate improvement even, at the quarterback position this year, simply because Blackman's going to be asked to do less stuff that he doesn't do well. So it's a matter of, again, Bryles was much more flexible and had an understanding, a deep understanding of his system, much more than what you had with Taggart, who this is what we do, here's what we're going to do, and, you know, Oh, well, our guys can't do it. Well, we'll recruit new guys. Bryles did adjust quite a bit to what Blackman could and couldn't do. I mean, he, they, they were limited because of the things that Blackman couldn't do. And But Blackman, nevertheless, struggled with some of the core concepts of the Bryles offense, particularly the vertical choice game that Bryles implements. And you could see all year, there were times where Blackman was double clutching and just wasn't sure of uh, he goes to goes to throw it and just 
you could see that that pulling the pulling the string and not sure that oh should I throw that? oh I hope he's there when I throw it. There was a lot of that last year, and with with Norvell's system, there's a lot less of that. There's there's not a whole lot of vertical choice, and again, vertical choice is a lot of where you're basically telling the wide receiver you have. uh, various vertical routes that are at your disposal. You can go outside, you can go inside, or you can cut it off as a stick route and you can cut it off at a couple different places. And all of this has to be done on the fly, sort of like backyard football in that sense of go and get open. And the quarterback has to get it out based on making exactly the same read as the receiver in, in quick time. And if you don't have a whole lot of protection, that gets even harder, but he struggled a lot with making those choices. And with brought with the with the Norvell system, their their vertical stuff is more traditional in the sense of uh, you, you've got a little bit less reading on the fly in terms of okay, do I is he going deep? Is he going short? It's much simpler. They're going to default to back shoulder unless a guy's running wide open over the top. That's that's what they do. You can see it from the tape, and so that's going to help him. That's going to help him a lot. You just rep that back shoulder enough that that's what you get, and then. If you look out there and your guy's running way over the top, then you just let it fly. Well, that helps you. And then the other thing is that that he struggled some in the RPO game, where a lot of the post snap decisions in the Bryles system pretty demanding on the quarterback. I mean, that's that's just the truth. With Norvell's system, they're they're going to do more pre snap RPOs where you're reading the box, you're reading an apex defender, you're doing that, and you're getting it out quickly. He's going to need to be more accurate on that, throwing it to the outside, but they're also throwing more spots than bubbles, which helps. Those are easier throws for a quarterback. And then the post-snap decisions that he's going to have to make are based on a single read. You're reading one conflict player more often than not in, in the Norvell system. So that should help. It's, it's simplifying things overall for the quarterback in terms of how you coach it, how often you're able to rep some of this stuff. That's helpful. But the bigger issue for Blackman, the bigger issues for him, are going to be as follows. More checkdown options. In Norvell's system, you're going to get fewer situations where you have three guys running deep downfield or running deep to intermediate and nobody else. You're going to get maybe three guys running deeper downfield, but there's there's going to be that fourth guy who's out in the flat who's your checkdown, and if, if nothing else, you throw it over his head into the, into the stands if there's a guy with him. But otherwise, you put it out there and it turns into a run play. Norvell is big on making sure his quarterback has an easy option on each play. Where's your hot? And there were no hot routes really last year. There's very little hot, hot route stuff in the Bryles system. You don't have that in this system. There's hot routes built in. There's basic, basic stuff in terms of, okay, well, if they're all playing over the top here, just take your check down, take it, take it easy and live to see another play. Make sure that that you're letting your your skill guys from the backfield do a lot. And you're going to see a lot of throws to the backs. You're going to see some throws to slots and tight ends out there as well. But Norvell throws to his running backs a bunch. And Bryles did a lot less of that. Just the Bryles system. If you look at the numbers, Norvell throws to uh, Norvell's offenses have historically thrown to the backs like three, four times as much as the Bryles system does. So you're going to see a lot more throws in those cases, which again, that's an easier situation and it's and, it, and the quarterback doesn't have as much pressure making those throws. It, it's a security blanket situation for him. That helps a lot. The second thing that's going to help a lot is really, this is the fourth thing, but the, the other major thing 
is if you watch what I put together on, on Patreon, you're going to see how much against Ole Miss, for example, they are moving the quarterback to make sure that the defense cannot just hone in on where that guy's going to be. There's tons of sprint outs, boots, all sorts of little things to, to make sure that the defense can't tee off on your quarterback. And a bunch of true screens, running back screens, receiver screens, all sorts of things to try to slow down the rush and to try to give the quarterback, again, easy options where, look, this is a sprint out. You go there to there. If it's not there, you throw it to the guy in the flat or throw it out of bounds. And you're running away. So just get rid of the football as soon as you see that, you know, what your read is and get it out there. And if somebody's got pressure on you, you're still in a position where you can get rid of the football. So those are those are all positive things. And you think about it, Brady White's first year as quarterback was the was the worst stat line that, that a Norvell quarterback has ever had. And it was still a little better than Blackman's stat line last year. 63%, bo- both of them actually, Brady White's first year, 63% completion percentage, 8.4 yards per attempt, whereas Blackman was 8.0 last year. 26 touchdowns versus 17 touchdowns, nine INTs versus seven INTs. And, uh, and so high, the higher numbers in Brady, Brady White's case in touchdowns and yards per attempt, and also two fewer interceptions, nine points higher on the passer rating. So that's plus. That's, that's good. And I would expect Blackman to actually have more or less a comparable stat line to what Brady White did last year. I think they're pretty comparable in terms of limitations and, and some other things. So, and if Blackman can do that, 26 touchdowns, nine INTs, 8.4 yards per attempt, then Florida State's actually significantly better this year than last year. That's nine more touchdowns, two fewer interceptions with a little bit higher yards per attempt rating or uh, yards per attempt uh, uh, numbers. And that's going to be, I think, a, that's going to be, I think, what you can expect from Blackman in this offense this year, even against a, a little bit more difficult schedule. The key for Blackman all year is going to be making sure he gets the ball out quickly and he takes the easy the easy stuff. Use your use your matchups. Be willing to take the easy option. Be and when you have a one-on-one where where Terry is on the outside or even on the inside against a against the defensive back and it's just a one-on-one situation, take that back shoulder. You're going to win that 60% of the time and those are going to be first downs. So go ahead and take those. As far as the other quarterbacks, we'll wrap up here in a moment. Rotomaker is your backup. He's basically, think of a thicker Clint Trickett, an early career Clint Trickett at this stage. Still has a long way to go to be ready, but has shown some encouraging signs in camp. Not a total, uh, not going to be a total emergency if he gets out there, but not a guy that you want to be your starter at this stage. So still has a ways to go to get ready, but definitely encouraging signs. Don't expect much from Jordan Travis this year. Basically, he's going to be an emergency option and you know might get out there some for some running packages, but that's it. Uh, and then, of course, Chubba Purdy injured. Don't expect a whole lot this year due to that shoulder, but uh, you know, most talented guy on the roster at that position. So uh, in summary, Florida State offensively, I think, is basically going to have an even le- is going to be equivalent in terms of overall talent at wide receiver and on the offensive line. You might see a little bit of a, of an improvement at either one of those positions this year, but not, you can't expect much. They're a good bit worse at running back and tight end in terms of, uh, of what they've got on the roster. 
So really what it boils down to is quarterback and coaching that's going to determine whether the offense takes a step forward or not. And quite frankly, my take on this is don't expect better numbers or a more efficient offense this year. Do not. If you're looking for you know a higher level of efficiency than what Bryles put out there in terms of the numbers, and last year Florida State was uh, 49th in offensive SP+, using Bill Connolly's numbers over at ESPN, 49th in offensive efficiency. If you're expecting any improvement on that number, I think you're probably unrealistic. I think Bryles probably got about as much efficiency out of that offensive group as he could. And without Akers, I think it's going to be harder. What you can hope for is that the offense is better geared toward team success rather than offensive numbers and offensive efficiency. And yeah, efficiency is what really ultimately matters. But there are things you can do to help your defense be more efficient when the offense does fail. So this is where I think Norvell is going to be more willing to play for more, you know, 21-17 type scores than going warp speed all the time and, and exposing his less efficient offense to more plays where they have more opportunities to fail. I think he's going to be, he's going to show some more patience offic- uh, offensively and be willing to slow some things down when his offense isn't good enough to warrant playing fast or when they have a, a lead in certain cases. Slow some things down and, and, uh, and grind some games out. I think you're going to see more of that from Norvell, and I think that's going to be really helpful for Florida State this season. So uh, that's where I think the improvement can come in is it's more of a head coach approach, a more coordinated offense-defensive approach in terms of helping the overall outcomes and wins and losses rather than a lot more efficiency on the offensive side in terms of raw numbers. I don't think it's going to be much more efficient. If any, if anything, it might be a little bit less efficient offensively based on the loss of acres. If they're more efficient than Norvell and that staff after installing with no spring and all of that, then they deserve every coaching award that they can get. But I think they'll probably be right in the same range in terms of efficiency, but you can hope that they're going to be be able to set their defense up uh, for success a little bit better than, than last year. And the defense is really where they can be a lot better, and that's what we're going to cover in our next episode. The Unconquered Podcast is brought to you by EPR Creations, Louis Marquez of Keller Williams Realty in Jacksonville, Florida, Shenandoah Newsma of Keller Williams Realty in Chapel Hill, North Carolina, Garage Makeovers of Palm Beach and Broward County, and the Unconquered Podcast Shop, which features stickers, magnets, and other Seminole gear. If you've been enjoying this podcast, please leave a five-star rating over at Apple Podcasts, post us on social media, and tell a friend. Thanks also to those supporters over at Patreon, where I post video analysis and field questions for the podcast from supporters. Special thanks to those above the bleach numbers level. That is Keith Cheney, Casey Kidd, Chris Chartrand, Andrew Garrett, Brian Leninger, Travis Smith, Vince Calandra, and Bert Bertoldi. Once again, if you've been enjoying this podcast, please leave us five-star rating. This has been the Unconquered Podcast. I'm your host, Jason Staples. Thanks for listening.